Bible reading today is from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeanette. Maybe if we can, Sandra, if you can just leave that up there. We'll be referring to it a fair bit today, so that's good. So um, just uh, to fill in some of the gaps for the people who heard about Lucy in the prayer, um, she, uh, she came home from childcare on Wednesday quite sick. On Thursday she went to hospital, her throat started swelling up, and she's been there since. Uh, so there's, she's still there with Sarah today. Um, she, she's got a golden staph infection in her lymph nodes, which is just very hard to get rid of. So she's on pretty strong antibiotics, which seem to finally be working, which is good. Um, and so hopefully she can come home today or possibly tomorrow. Um, but yeah, so the Holy Spirit is going to have to do the work today because I haven't had the time to tighten this as well as I would normally. So... Um, so we are all going to experience the Spirit's work together here this morning, and that is a good thing. Now, the reality is that we are now in 2023. It is finally here, and in some ways, uh, we are officially in the post-pandemic world. You know, yesterday was the last day of 2022, and that marks essentially three years since, um, since I guess, COVID started in a way. But there are these key moments in our lives, aren't there? There are these momentous things that happen, whether that's the announcement of a pandemic or uh, the announcement of a marriage or a pregnancy or whatever it might be. There are these moments in life when things just change forever and we are now in a different world than what we were before that thing came to be. And there are these moments where everything changes and they are perfect opportunities for us to consider to reflect on life as it has been, the changes we want to make, and uh, how we're going to move forward. And a New Year's Day is kind of one of these moments. We know that. This is the time of the year when we make our New Year's resolutions about losing weight and exercising more and spending more time with the family and less time on social media and more time in the Bible and so on. And it's also the first day on which our resolve for these decisions are tested. So I ask you honestly, how are your New Year's resolutions going uh, since today is the first day uh, they are being tested? Most of us, most of us, have stuck to our New Year's resolutions, but oh, let's see how we go in a couple of weeks or perhaps even a couple of months' time. Because let's face it, real change, real improvement requires more than a decision to make something happen. I can decide today to become ripped and muscly and great at running, but that decision has no power unless it is followed by action. 
That initial change, the decision has to be followed up by step-by-step things like eating healthy, going to the gym, pumping weights, saying no to the delicious cheesecakes my wife makes. And without these follow-up decisions, my initial decision to become ripped and muscly won't mean anything. And in a year's time, I will not look any different uh, than I do today. And it will have actually been a self-deceiving decision if it's not followed up by action. And so today as we reflect together on the year that was, and as we think about the plans for the year to come, we need to do that in a way that reflects that uh, principle, that our decisions need to be followed up by action to make things happen. But more importantly, our decisions and our plans for the year need to reflect who we are in Christ. Because as our text says, or the Bible here guides us actually in, in how we are to live our lives well this year to come. And the first thing we need to think about as we plan for all the year to come is that we need to build our lives on the right foundation. That's the first thing we need to think about this morning is our lives and our years need to be built on the right foundation. We read there in verse 1a, the first, just the first little line you've got there. So, if you have been raised with Christ, or you have, if you've got a different translation, uh, it might say something like, since then you have been raised by Christ. There's this uh, idea of being raised by Christ has these consequences. If you have been raised by Christ, then live this kind of way. Now, this is about the core identity of the people who belong to Jesus. So we have to think about what is our core identity? What, is, what makes us who we are? What's the sort of central pillar of our lives? When we think of ourselves, first and foremost, what's the thing that comes to mind? Our sense of who we are, our identity, is the foundation on which we build our lives. Our identity is the driving force that dictates how we make our decisions, which decisions we make, and some idea, some ways our identity is the programming in our head that determines not only what we do but why we do it. So for example, if you are a fundamentally a deeply committed environmentalist, your core identity is that you're a saviour of the planet uh, and that's going to drive your actions. If that's me, I'm going to choose to wash my plastics before they go in the recycling bin. I'm going to choose to eat less meat knowing that that's better for the environment. I'm going to, uh, you know, buy my clothes from the second-hand shop regardless of how much money I make because that's better for the world and so on. Our actions are determined by our identity. Or consider someone whose sort of core central pillar is their need to be uh, liked most likely they're going to sign up to Instagram and live a sold-out, Insta-worthy life. Their identity is shaped primarily by the need to be admired or liked by other people. And so significant amounts of time and effort are going to get, go into getting the perfect shot at just the right angle, at just the right time, uh, exposing just the right amount of skin to get the likes. This person's thoughts and opinions are shaped not so much 
by deep critical thinking or by deeply held beliefs as by whatever the current political or cultural hobby horse is. And I'm going to support that thing because that's going to make people like me. So our identity drives us to do things. It is the thing that most strongly shapes us and it drives us subconsciously. We often aren't even aware of, of our identity's influence on how we approach life. And so it dictates not just what we do, but also why we do it. If it's tied to the planet, we do things to save it, because we must, because that's who we are. If our identity is tied to our Insta followers, then we're going to do anything to appeal to them, because we must, because that's who we are. Our identity dictates not only what we do, but why we do it. Now notice what Paul is doing here in, in verse 1 and verse 3. He's writing to the Colossian church here. And, he's, um, and just what does he say? He's, he's using identity. So therefore, if you have been raised in Christ, and then in verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, he's telling them who they are. Since you have been raised by Christ, if you have been raised in Christ, you are dead, your life is hidden in God. He's telling them who they are. He's giving them a new foundation. This is foundational stuff. Who are you according to the Bible? As a Christian, who are you? You're a person who has died and been resurrected in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. When you're a believer in Jesus, your old self is dead. You are not that person anymore. You are, you've been raised with Christ. You're a new person, a new person raised with Jesus. There's a new foundation, a new core central pillar in your identity, and that is why you do Christian things. That is now who you are. Is that how we think of ourselves? When someone asks me, tell me about yourself. You know, who are you? What are the things you like to do? What, how do we process that question? We go to things like, this is my job, I'm a husband, uh, I've got children, I think of our families, I enjoy these kinds of things, I'm passionate about these causes. Uh, that's how we tend to identify ourselves when, when we introduce to someone. But what Paul is doing here is he's saying, if or when you become a Christian... The thing that happens to you is a new identity is installed that supersedes, overrules, and overrides all of those things. Your first and most fundamental thing, the thing that matters most about you, is that your old self is dead. And your new self has been raised, you've been given life through Christ. You are now a Christian, someone who's died and been made alive again eternally. And this doesn't just happen here in Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes about it also in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, uh, actually a little bit more helpfully, he says there in, in verse 15 of chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That's your foundation. Paul's central argument, in essence, is that you must lose everything, including the memory of who you were before, 
and live by this new identity, this new foundation that has been given to you by Christ when you believe. Is that how you see your life? Is that the thing that drives you and shapes how you make your decisions, the choices uh, you have to make about what to do and where to go and what to interact with? How do we know? How do we know? What's the test to see whether this is our foundation, whether this is actually our reality? How do we know whether we're actually living like this? How do we know if we've really put Christ at the centre of who we are? When we consider our plans for 2023, how do we know that we've really made them with Jesus at the centre of our identity? Colossians 3 gives us the answer in the form of a diagnosis. Paul there says, if your foundation is right, then your focus is going to be right. What you're going to live, uh, what you're going to live for, what you're going to focus on is going to change. You might think you have the right foundation, so now test it against your focus, living with the right focus. If you have been raised with Christ, what are you going to do? What are you going to focus on? Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hands of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you see the argument Paul is making here? If your foundation is right, if your identity has been transformed into this living identity where the old self has truly died, then you're going to change your focus. You're going to want what Jesus wants and you're going to think heavenly thoughts. You're going to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You're going to want what Jesus wants. You're going to set your mind on, on the things above, not on earthly things. We're going to think heavenly thoughts. Now both of these ideas of, of um, wanting what God wants, thinking heavenly thoughts... They're, they're grounded in Jesus' work on the cross. We are to seek the things above, the heavenly things, and what's the basis? He says, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now that's a phrase Paul use, uh, uses to, to kind of capture the completed work of Christ. He's, uh, Jesus there is in the seat of authority, in the seat of honour. It's an indication that Jesus' work, his salvation work on the cross, where he took the sins of believers, paid for the price, he, he set us free from the consequences of our sin, that work is finished now. And so having finished the work, he is seated now in the place of honour at God's right hand. And Jesus is glorified because his work is finished. Salvation has been accomplished. He's been exalted and because of that, we are now to think about those things, heavenly things, heavenly stuff, not earthly stuff. Earthly things are pointless. If you read the rest of the letter, it's all about the earthly stuff that is, is kind of captivating the Colossian church. It's saying that earthly things are pointless things to worry about and to 
uh, fight for and to dedicate our lives to compared to those heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because the earthly things, they pass away. The earthly things are temporal. They, they might be interesting, but they're not eternal. They might even be important, but in the long run they don't actually matter in the scheme of things. Heavenly things, though, they have to do with the very nature and power and majesty and glory of God. Heavenly things last forever. Heavenly things have substance. They have weight. It's for this reason that Jesus says, if you've got lots of money, use it to do things and store up treasures in heaven. Buy your friends, he kind of says uh, in the Gospels. Because those are the things that matter. Use your earthly things to get heavenly things. Think about heavenly things. The rest of the letter tells us what the earthly things were that were getting the Colossian church in trouble. These earthly thoughts that uh, was getting them stuck. They were getting derailed from thinking God's thoughts by various philosophies and human traditions, the desires of the flesh, uh, man-made rules about how they were to practice Christianity, um, uh, particularly a, a form of self-denial called ascetism, which basically uh, says you are to live with nothing and, and kind of deny yourself all these, these good things that God has given you. And so the Colossian church was getting pulled away from the truths of the gospel by all these earthly kind of philosophies and, and thoughts and man-made rules. And the church was giving more and more attention to these things. And what had started happening is that they were measuring their, their faith, their standing before God, by how well they were doing these earthly things. And so their focus as a church started drifting away from the central figure of their lives, Jesus. Their purpose had started drifting away from pursuing God's mission, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news. And so the Galatian letter is written primarily to address these earthly things that were getting in the way of the Colossian people devoting themselves to God's mission. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not particularly um, enamoured by the philosophies of the ascetic movement. Uh, I'm not into self-denial, as you can clearly see. Um, but the Colossian church is not alone, are they? The church throughout the ages, globally, here in Australia as well, individuals in the church, we can all suffer from the same problem, can't we? Where our decisions and our plans don't revolve so much around pursuing God's mission and living in light of the glory of Christ who is seated on the throne as it is derailed by earthly things. When we plan for 2023, is Jesus' honour and his glory and his mission really the yardstick by, where, by which we measure our success? Now, I'm putting my hand up here too, right? We all have this problem. We don't actually live, if we're honest, with Jesus as the central core reality in our lives most of the time. 
We don't plan our lives around the heavenly things. We tend to plan our lives around <coughs> the earthly things. Let's just think about this for a moment. Consider the broad plans for the year ahead. Okay? You've got your calendar in your mind. What are your plans? What are my plans? Well, I'm uh, coming up to my long service leave in the year to come and I'm thinking, okay, well, that means I've got sort of three months off. When am I going to fit that in? Um, how's that going to work? Uh, where am I going to go on holidays? I've got to think about the school terms and how that works with my children because they're important. They're important. Uh, so without thinking about that, I can't really do anything without working around their semesters. And so the school kids' stuff go into the calendar first. Then I start thinking, okay, but when might it then be a nice time to have a holiday? Uh, we could take the kids out for a day or two here or there. Yes, that might work. And then we can stay a bit longer there and so on. Okay, that's good. That fills in some of the gaps. And then we start thinking about what are the social interactions, clubs, teams and things we're going to be a part of. Um, yes, I like board games. I'm going to join that club. I'm not so much into footy. I'm going to let that one go. And my kids need to learn how to swim, so we're going to join the swimming club and so on. That's how we plan, isn't it? That's how our lives come together. But you notice what's missing from that? Where is Christ? School holidays, board games, swimming clubs, these are earthly things that will pass away. They're not unimportant, don't get me wrong, but they do not set the agenda of our lives, friends. We need to live with purpose. We need to choose the things that are going to bring honour and glory to Christ first and foremost. Otherwise, our lives will by default take on the form of these busy people who never have enough time for God. We have to choose our priorities. Whether we join one social club or another, as a Christian who is dead and raised in Christ, the decision should not be, where are the better games at? It should be, where are the greater opportunities to serve Jesus? Whether I go on a holiday or not, or where I go, has to be made in the light of Christ being seated at the right hand of God, where I can serve him best. In that, these heavenly priorities should drive our earthly decisions if our foundation is right. So what are the earthly things, the earth stuff that organise and prioritise your life? What are the things you need to rethink on this, the first day of this year, as you consider your plans for the year to come. These earthly things are important, but they do not uh, determine your life. In essence, choose this day whom you will serve. These earthly things are important, but they have a great capacity to take Jesus out of the centre of our lives.
So how do we do it? How do we actually live like this? How do we rethink our priorities along these lines? I.e. having established that our foundation is right, being raised with Christ, we've seen our need to focus in the right direction. How do we actually do it? Well, our text gives us a really surprising and sort of roundabout answer. We are supposed to be captivated by a right future. So we've got the right foundation, the right focus, and we can do that when we are captivated by the right future. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I've got to do some work here because it's not immediately obvious how that ties in. So how do we actually go about doing this focusing stuff in, in the right way day by day? How do we actually go about living with Christ at our core, remaining our so-called Christocentric priority? There's a word for you. Well, the text, as I said, gives us a surprising answer. We need to be captivated by our right future with Jesus. Now, look at this. He says there, when Christ, who is your life, what? When he appears. Paul here is thinking about the second coming of Jesus. So he's saying, have this right foundation and right focus because one day Jesus is coming back. Jesus is your life now and one day he will appear. And what happens then, friends, is that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, we have to appreciate that that is an absolutely terrifying time for everyone who is not a believer. Jesus will come and everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected and they will be brought before King Jesus and he is going to judge every person. He's going to judge every person. And what is the criteria that will be used on that day is actually your works. How did you live your life? Our judgment is according to works. Now, I can see the heretic police just coming in the back doors there, starting to walk through the front door, so just calm down. Because that's not what we believe, is it? The whole point of the gospel is that none of us, none of us, can live a sinless life. We all are sinners. Even a single sinful action, thought, or desire in the heart leads us to eternal death, eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. Each one of us is destined for eternal punishment if we do not accept the free gift of life offered by Christ through his work on the cross, right? That's the gospel, in essence. When we trust in him, when we believe in him, when we accept that he stood in our place, took our sins on his shoulders, and set us free from the punishment, we receive receive eternal life. That's what Ephesians 2 is all on about. You were saved by grace, through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, so that no one can work. uh, Not from works, so that no one can boast. If that's true, then how can I say that our lives will be judged according to works? Because that's what the Bible says. Romans 2 verse 6 to 8. 
God will repay each person according to their works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. Judged according to works. Or on the negative side, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? That is, they're being judged on their works. James says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? No, it cannot. He is judged by works. Our final judgment is according to works. So then how does that work? How can you be saved by grace and judged by works? How can God at the same time not repay each person according to what they've done and repay each person according to what they've done in the final judgment? How does these two things hold together? Well, if we've been paying attention to what Paul has been saying, we find the solution. Read with me. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Do you notice the solution? Do you see it there? If you are a Christian today, friends, you are dead. In Christ, you have already paid for your sins. You haven't. Christ has. But you are in Christ, and he has paid for your sins. There there has been this transfer from, from your body of death, your sinful body, and you are now in Christ. You have been taken from the dead spiritual body you were in and placed in the living spiritual body of Christ. You are judged according to works, absolutely, by the body you inhabit spiritually. It's just that that's not your body anymore. You are now in Christ. You will be judged according to works. Yes, just not your works. It will be the works of the body of him you inhabit as a Christian. When Christ, who is your life, whose body you inhabit, appears, you're going to be right there with him in glory. That is your future. That is the thing that we need to be captivated by. That is our right future. Because here is the truth, the more captivated we are by this reality, the more deeply this seeps into our lives, the more our current lives are going to reflect the life of Christ today. Our work, our actions, our lives are going to line up more and more with the perfect life of Jesus in whom we are alive today. Now the judgment is coming. Jesus will appear one day and all Christians will be there with him in glory and on that day you will be judged according to works. And if you are a Christian, that will be a glorious day. You are going to enter into eternal life and ongoing gratitude for everything Jesus has done as you live in him. And on that day you are going to be in Christ fully. Does that captivate you? You will 
never be broken again, never hurt again. You will never be able to hurt anyone else again and you are going to enter into eternal life surrounding Jesus with all who want to be there and praise him forever as the eternal king and he will be your life forever. How much does that captivate your thinking? How enamored by this reality are you? When we make our plans for 2023, does that reality shape your life? Because the more captivated you are by that, the more you will live for Christ in the present. So are you captivated by a right future, living with a right focus, built on a right foundation? Because that option is open to you And on this day of resolutions, resolve to live like that based on what Jesus has already done for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that here you give us deep, deep heart teaching about who we are, about how we are to live and the future that stands waiting for all of us. O Lord, may this shape our lives as we consider the year to come, as we think about a new year to live a new life. We pray that you will uh, deeply drive this truth into our hearts, captivate us by the future that is waiting for us. May that be our present reality and may we live out of it for your glory as the one seated at the right hand of God. Lord, as a church this year, we are committed to pursuing your mission, making disciples of the world. And as we shape our calendar in this church too, around, uh, around that principle, we pray that you will give us great success in being obedient. Lord, we know that the results depend on you, but we need to be obedient to your call on our lives. And so we pray for that. And we commit this to you, seeking your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.